This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Isn't it nice to be at church on a Sunday night? Amen. Do you like our Hallmark background up there? Doesn't that make you feel warm and fuzzy? Thank you. I was, somebody, yeah, you should feel fuzzy. That's, that's the intent. Anyway, um, so tonight we're on part three of our series called True Grit. And to kind of catch you up to where we are, uh, in September, I went up to Big Bear for a few days and uh, I was just seeking the Lord. And you've a lot of you have heard this story already, but I got to catch everybody up. So I'm, I'm like, Lord, what should I read? What should I do? So I opened up my Bible to the book of Mark and God had a supernatural experience. I mean, I read the entire book. It's not the longest book in the Bible. It's only 16 chapters, but I start reading the book of Mark. And I mean, I, I honestly don't know how long it was, but it was a very short amount of time. I had read the whole book and it wasn't like I was just, you know, skimming and, and, and trying to see how fast I could read Mark. I mean, God was giving me life changing revelation. And I mean, I was taking notes and God was really speaking to me in a supernatural way. And so I start noticing all these really strong character traits of Jesus. And as I've said, we all know and we all appreciate the the tender, merciful, compassionate, sympathetic side of Jesus because he has all those attributes and and no doubt about that. But we also realize that Jesus has some very strong, tough attributes about him also. And, And we have to know that Jesus was a man's man. He was a tough guy. He was a carpenter back in that day and age, and he didn't have power tools. I mean, listen, his hands would have been calloused. He would have had probably a really firm handshake. Jesus probably had some muscle on him, okay? And 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 uh, and so I'm just saying, Jesus was a tough man, no doubt about it. And so I'm studying all these things, and 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 I, I notice these ten things when I'm done. I've written down ten things, and I'm like. Wow, Jesus, you were manly. And then I'm like, well, I feel almost guilty calling Jesus manly because he's he's so much better than that. And so the phrase comes to me. He had true grit. Now, if you're, you know, uh, uh, maybe in the older generation, you realize that was a John Wayne movie in the 70s. And so I quickly got on Amazon Prime, rented that movie so I could get caught up on that aspect. And I saw True Grit. And then I, I got my Bible back out and the Lord started speaking to me some more. So anyway, my goal is to share all ten of these traits with you by the end of the year. And so last week I fit three in. This week it's so it's so powerful that I can only do one tonight. But I'm trying to fit all ten of these in by the end of the year. And so tonight is this True Grit Part Three. You got to control the situation. You have to be in control of the situation. Now, oftentimes, circumstances come to us that were beyond our control, and I'm going to show you that. Sometimes things happen, like you didn't plan on that happening. But listen, when the storm comes, and when the circumstances arise, I'm going to take control of that, and it's not going to control me. You know what I mean? And so, fear may knock on the door, or or some sort of disappointment came, but that is not going to define me. That is not going to control me. Through the name of Jesus, through the power of Jesus, I am going to take control of the situation and and things are going to change. Things are going to change by the power of Jesus. And so there's three points we're going to make tonight that I want you to see. And I want you to pay attention to this because this isn't just for you. This is so you can help other people out. I believe everybody in this room tonight, you are a leader in some capacity. 
Not everybody's going to, you know, lead hundreds and thousands of people. I get that. But there are people that look to you. Henry was just talking about where he works at the restaurant. There's our people, you know, that are, you know, a guy reading his Bible that, that necess- doesn't necessarily uh, believe in God yet. But somehow you are affecting other people. And when crisis comes to their life, they don't have answers. If they haven't been reading the Bible, if they haven't been believing in Jesus, when crisis comes, they have no idea what to do. They have a meltdown. They go nuts. But listen, you have the answers. And what I'm trying to get at tonight is this. I want you to take this sermon for you, but I also want you to take it to help other people out because we're raising up leaders right here. We've got young leaders. We've got older leaders, but we're raising up leaders. You, no doubt about it, have the potential to be a great leader and to help other people out whenever crisis strikes their life. And so I want to pray that I want to get into point number one. And I, I want you to really listen tonight because I know, man, this is going to be a good one. God is going to speak to you big. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, as we do every week, that we have a great church to come and learn your word in. Lord, that we are surrounded by an amazing family, Lord, our brothers and our sisters on every side of us. Uh, we just we thank you for that. God, I pray tonight that as we study, that you will open up our hearts and our minds, Lord. You'll speak to us and show us what we need to see so you can change our life forever. In Jesus' name, amen. And I just, I forgot about this, but I wanted to show you this book. We always try to show, but, but this book, The Believer's Authority by Kenneth Hagan, is life-changing. This is dynamite. This changed my life, man. I, I, I've read this book so many times. And it's funny, because I, I, I went to college at uh, Raymond Bible College, and uh, so did Lemuel's mom. She went to the same college that, uh, that Katie and I went to. But um, they were telling the story one time, because this book's been translated into lots of languages. So one of the missionaries from Rama, they were in some very remote region, and they're like, hey, we'd like to come in and, and share God's word with you. We want to preach to your village. And the, the leader was like, I'm not going to let you do it unless you can preach like this guy right here. And he said, well, guess what? I've been to that college and I preach just like that. And so they let him preach to the whole village because of the Believer's Authority book. So anyway, this is a great book and it, it deals a lot with what we're talking about tonight. So the first thing I want to say is this. Number one, Jesus didn't let doubters have any say so. Jesus, whenever he was in a situation and all the doubters showed up and like, well, I don't know, man, Jesus just he didn't listen to their opinion. He did not let them have any say so in the matter. And there comes a point in time, you know, where you do have to get bold with people. You don't have to be mean. We're not talking about being mean, but there comes a point in time. If you are in a real situation, you need to be assertive and you need to be strong and you need to have some guts. You need to have some grit and stand up. And so let me show you this in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Now, almost everything that we're looking at in this series is out of the book of Mark. Um, but but we'll, we'll, we'll look at some other books too. But Mark chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 35 through 42. Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 42. And this is the story of Jesus raising up Jairus' daughter. So Mark chapter 5. Uh, starting here at verse 35, so maybe you've read this story, but, but Jesus is going along and, and this man comes up, my daughter's sick and in bed. Well, he says, I'll go heal her. He, he starts out to the house there, and then the woman with the issue of blood shows up. She's been bleeding for 12 years nonstop, and, and she gets healed by touching Jesus' robe. So that takes some time, but look what happens now. Mark chapter 5, verse 35 While he was still speaking to her, the woman with the issue of blood, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus. 
the leader of the synagogue, they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. It's too late. Not even Jesus could help you right now, man. But look at this. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith or only believe. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all the commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. I mean, people think that he's he's lost it. He's off his rocker. The crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. So there's a lot packed in that story that we're going to break down right now. But can you imagine this situation where Jesus says, little girl, get up. And the little girl, literally, she's been dead. She's laying there dead. She stands up and starts walking around the room. The amazement and the shock that gripped that room must have been incredible. I would have loved to have been there for this situation. But I want to show you how Jesus handled this because I would call this a crisis situation. I would call this an impossible situation because this little girl wasn't only really sick now. She was dead. Now, most of the time, most of the time, if the person's already dead, there's not a lot you can do for that person, right? I mean, this is a bad situation, but Jesus wasn't frightened. He wasn't panicked and he wasn't intimidated. Jesus had true grit. He walked upon the scene and took total control of this situation, even though there was distractions all over the place. And so one thing I'll point out is that here in verse 36, uh, Jesus immediately overruled the doubters. They come and say, don't bother Jesus now. She's already dead. It's too late. Nothing you can do about it. Jesus calmly says, don't be afraid. Just have faith or fear not. Only believe. Now, that took some guts to say that in this situation. His daughter just died. Don't you think if your daughter just died, you would be in a moment of panic? Don't you think that this would be the perfect time to panic and be afraid and be really upset? There had to be all kinds of emotions that he was dealing with right there. You, you know, this is, a, this is a man. He had emotions that he was dealing with, and there's people tugging him on every side. She's dead, and, and he's just heard the news and, and, and all this stuff. And there's, there's, can you imagine the state of mind that Jairus was in at this point in time? He just heard for the first time that his daughter had died. And they're saying, don't bother Jesus. He can't do anything now. But Jesus, cool, calm, and collected, says, don't be afraid. Hey, I know this looks really bad. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Just have some faith right now. Jesus calmed the situation. And I'm wanting you to take notice of how Jesus handled a crisis. Because I've been around a lot of crisis. I've been in death rooms. I've been in situations that I really wish I hadn't seen, to be honest with you. And you in your life, you will come at some point in time... You're going to be in a, in a moment of crisis where you are going to be the leader that people are looking to. Can I get an amen? That's going to happen. And, and, and for good reason, because you've been taught, you know, the word of God. 
And I'm telling you, this is how you handle a crisis. Jesus gave us the perfect example right here. And so he calms the situation down. He calms the father that just heard about his daughter. And then in verse 37, he takes even more control and he chooses only three people to go with him. Now, we all know that Jesus had 12 close followers, right? The 12 disciples that we refer to, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and he and, and, and all these other guys. Listen, he had all these great guys, but he only chose three. Why is that? Well, can you, we all know Thomas, his story. Can you imagine what he would have done? You want Thomas in the room with you when you're in this situation? Doubting Thomas, he would have been like, oh, dear God, that is, oh, my gosh. Let's go, Jesus. I lost my appetite. I got to I mean, Thomas was, you don't want Thomas in this good man. He, you know, Lord chose him for good reasons, I'm sure. But Jesus chose three guys. What was wrong with Thaddeus? What was wrong with Matt? What was wrong? With, there's all these great guys, but he took Peter, James, and John. Because when you are going into battle, it is super important who you surround yourself with. I know a lot of people that I love, but I'm not taking them to battle with me. They're, they're not going on the battlefield with me. They're great. They're wonderful. I love them. I'd give my life. But there's a lot of people I love that I do not want in the room of crisis with me when there's an impossible situation. And God bless their heart, but they don't have the faith. They don't have the guts. They don't have the grit to stand up and not be afraid. They, they They would collapse beneath the weight of the situation. And I can only imagine what Thomas, or good Lord, what would, they took Judas in there. What would he, he would have been thinking of how much it cost or whatever. Like, well, we can start a GoFundMe and raise some money off of this. We get, I mean, he would have, I, he would, who knows what Judas would have done if Judas was in the room right there. But Jesus chose the three men that he knew were not going to freak out, that were not going to panic, and that he could count on them to keep their mouth shut and just have faith. So that tells me if Jesus himself surrounded him with people of faith in the worst moments, how important is it that we keep in mind who we are surrounding ourselves with? Amen. And that's why I don't post my business for the world to see on the Internet. Are you kidding me? I face problems. Somebody, you know, I, people don't believe it. Oftentimes people say this to me. Well, you've probably never had problems. I've had problems, man. I've dealt with it. I've had cancer. I've had problems. Listen to me. It's happened to me. The thing is, I just don't go tell everybody I know about it. I keep my mouth shut and talk to Jesus and maybe a very tight-knit circle of people. But if I was in a crisis, you can rest assured I would not take it to the Internet. If I'm having a bad day, which does occasionally happen, not often, but it does happen, I don't go tell everybody that's on my news feed about it. Listen, I'm not, I'm saying this in a humble way. I've got a couple thousand people that follow me on Facebook. I don't go tell all of them if I'm having a bad day. Are you kidding me? I don't, why, why do people spread their business to the, Jesus would not have done that. And listen, (laughs) yeah, Jesus, listen, and things came to him. It says he was human. He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. It is possible that Jesus could have had some bad days. It probably wasn't the best day ever when they were beating him and nailing him to a cross. Okay, but Jesus did not have to go tell everybody in the world every problem that he had. And that's something that you need to learn, especially if you are going through a hard time. I would zip the lip and keep it shut and only bring the the, the closest, most faith filled people to the battlefield with you. Don't take Thomas to an impossible situation. 
Don't take Judas into the war room when you need some answers. You take Peter, James, and John, whoever that is in your life. But I love a lot of people, but there's not a lot of people that I want on the battlefield with me when it comes to these things. And so I look here at verses 38 through 40, and here's where Jesus really takes control. I love this. Verse 38, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. Talk about a scene to walk up on. And, and, and look what happens. He went inside and asked, why all the commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Well, look at this. The, the crowd laughed at him. But what did Jesus do? That's not very nice. Laugh at me. A bunch of haters. I can't believe you guys. You stink. I'm out of here. I'm going to take this. I'm Jesus. No, he kicked them out. Jesus kicked them out and said, you get out. There's the door. Get to step in. Get out. And he, Jesus literally kicked people out of the room. And you think, man, that's kind of rude. Well, guess what? He didn't want the girl to stay dead. We're talking about life and death here. We're not talking about, you know, a patty cake. We're talking about life and death. And Jesus had to get bold and assertive. And if you are talking about a real crisis, sometimes you have to say, I love you, but I, you can't be in here right now. You, we're, we're working on a miracle. You got to get out. And I've told this many times, but when I had leukemia and I was in the hospital, there was people that would come and visit me. Some people, my parents would not let come into the room to see me. People drove 50, 100 miles to see me. And when they got there, they came with sympathy and pity. And listen, that's nice. But sympathy and pity does not heal leukemia. Faith in Jesus and his power heals leukemia. And so there were some people that came crying and I can't believe he's going through this and I just feel so bad for the little guy. And yeah, man, I'll be, I remember it. It was not fun. It stunk, man. It was painful. But listen, I am so glad that they cared more about me getting healed than offending other people. And we love you. We'll let them know that, you know, I was a little guy, but we'll let them know that you came and it means so much to us that you came, but you can't go in there right now. And I am glad that they had that grit and those guts to stand up to well-meaning people, well-meaning people, but people that were probably not going to build their faith up and were probably going to bring doubt into the situation. You don't need doubt in the war room. You don't need doubt on the battlefield. You need an absolute confidence that I'm walking by faith, not by sight. This doesn't look pretty right now, but we are going to win because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if they don't have that attitude, they're, they may have the most wonderful hearts in the world, but they don't have the grit that it's going to take to win this fight. You've got to, you, you've got to realize that, that sometimes it's like that. And I'm telling you, I did not need pity right then. I needed healing. And, and, and I, I just, I, I see this with our current generation. I, I know a lot of young people, especially our young adults and our young millennials in this generation, that uh, they really enjoy sympathy. And I'm not making fun but they really enjoy attention and sympathy. And listen, that's not good for you. There's a time and a place for sympathy. That's a godly character trait. There is a time and a place for compassion and sympathy. But that does not answer your prayers. That does not build your faith. And I know so many people that they have a little molehill problem and they want to tell the whole world about it and then, you know, start a page and a GoFundMe and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, just... Time out. Just calm down. Use your faith. We'll raise the $10 for your basketball shoes and you'll be okay. This isn't a crisis. The world doesn't hate you. And I mean, just time out. You'll be okay. But 
don't be a person that 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 just really enjoy. If you find yourself where you you're really wanting people to feel sorry for you, I'm I'm, I'm trying to help you here. Just cut that out. Stop it and say I'm not even going to tell anybody about this situation right now except for God because you don't need to enjoy sympathy. Amen. Amen? It's a pretty good word right there. All right, listen to me. Listen to me. There's a time and a place for that. I mean, hey, listen, your grandma just died. We feel bad for you. We're going to show you sympathy. And at this church, we're probably going to bring you food for a whole week. I, you know, so we're sympathetic. We're caring and we're compassionate. But you should not try to base your life off of getting people to feel sorry for you and sympathetic because it doesn't heal cancer. It doesn't restore marriages. It doesn't bring children back to Jesus. It doesn't, it just doesn't do those things. It makes you feel good for a minute and it's good to know that people care, but do not be looking for sympathy your whole life. Amen. So Jesus completely maintained control of this situation. He kicks some people out of the room, and then he focuses in, laser-focused, man. He's a sniper on the situation right here. And and you have to and think about all that. There's people weeping and wailing and crying and throwing dust in the air and, and just causing a big scene. And he's like, get them out. And he just zeroes in on the situation. He completely ignores all the distractions. And you've got to get like this, man, where there could be distractions all around you. But nope, you're walking straight ahead. You're ignoring everything around you and focused on the answer, not the problem. Okay? Don't focus on the problem. Focus on the answer. Don't say like cancer, 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 cancer. Don't listen. We all get it, man. That was the diagnosis. We get that. But Jesus is the answer. So I'm going to say Jesus, 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 Jesus. I'm going to keep saying the name of Jesus, not the problem. So hold your place in Mark. I've got a beautiful verse. You're going to thank me for this. Isaiah 50, verse 7. You're going, to, you're going to thank me. You're going to highlight this in your Bible and put a star beside it. I know that you are. Isaiah 50, verse 7. You are going to love this verse so much. I love this verse. Isaiah 50, verse 7 and this is this this is how you have to be as a person of faith whenever you are walking through the storm walking through the crisis this right here should describe the person of faith and this describes how Jesus was whenever he was in a bad situation Isaiah chapter 50 verse 7 write this verse down Isaiah 50 verse 7 it says because the sovereign lord helps me I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do his will, and I know that I will not be put to shame. I love that. He says, because the sovereign Lord helps me, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. I have set my face like a stone. And you have got to get, I mean, you've got to set your face, you've got to lock your eyes on the word of God. And even though there's distractions and all sorts of things coming against you, you are so focused on this. You can't see a thing other than the word of God because you've got the answer right in front of you. That's what you have to do. This takes grit. This takes determination and focus and courage. Whenever people are tugging at you, your daughter's dead, your daughter. And, and what are you going to do now? And they're tugging you and pulling you everywhere and they're crying and, and all this stuff. And you say, no, 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 no. Jesus is here. Jesus is, it's never too late. Nothing's impossible with God. 
this something good's going to happen right now. This is this is perfectly set up for a miracle. This is perfectly set up for God to do something big. And that has to be your attitude. And so point number two is this, is that Jesus maintained order during chaos. Now, if you really do study Jesus in the Gospels here, Jesus was a very orderly person. He was organized. And, and, I, and the more I read, I, I'm shocked at how organized, I mean, he had a treasurer for his money. Now, obviously, Judas wasn't the best guy in the world. But at the same time, Jesus had his stuff organized. And he was smart. He was professional, man. And, and Jesus had it together. But let me show you another story here in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And, and we're looking at stories that are probably familiar to you, but we're, we're breaking these down tonight to pull as much truth out of them as we can. Mark chapter 6, we're going to look here at verses 35 through 44. Who's having a good time? You seeing how to maintain control of the situation instead of letting the situation control you? Are you? Okay. I, I mean, I saw it when I studied it, but... Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 35. Check this out. This uh, I love this story. Mark chapter 6, starting here at verse 35. It says, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. What? Man, I brought this problem to you, Jesus. And then Jesus no, you, no, it's okay. Feed them. Whoa. With what, they asked? We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Well, how much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, as we read later in the story, there were 5,000 men there that day, not counting their wives and children. I mean, it is no exaggeration to say we could have been looking at a crowd of 10,000 easily. And, and they come up with, they cough up five loaves of bread and two fish to feed around 10,000 people. Wow. It looks like the situation just got worse. This is more discouraging. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed that day. So did you get that? We started with five loaves, two fish, seven items, and somehow we end up with 12 baskets of leftovers. What just happened here? Well, Jesus had a very bad, you know, possible situation handed to him, and he made something beautiful happen because that's what Jesus does. You hand him a basket, okay, do exactly what I say, and you will get out of this, and and, and we'll take care of this right here. But Jesus... He maintained order during what was shaping up to be a pretty chaotic situation. And so uh, I'm, I'm going to break it down. Verse 37, notice Jesus uh, decided to go the extra mile and feed these people. He, he didn't owe everybody a free lunch. They came to him. He didn't go out and say, hey, everybody, come listen to me preach today. They came to him and he did not owe them a free lunch. 
But he did something about it anyway, because this is the compassionate side of Jesus. He sees that uh, these people, they've been listening to him preach for a while and they're going to get hungry and they're going to faint on the way home. They're going to pass out. There's there's you know, there's women and little children and all probably pregnant women and all this stuff. You got to feed pregnant women all the dang time, man. And so Jesus was right here and he knew that. Uh, I mean, this is a serious situation if they didn't do something about it. And so he out of his compassion does something about it. But I love how organized he is in this story. So look at verse 38. Verse 38, how much bread do you have? He asked, go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And so the first thing he does, we all know he could have made something out of nothing, right? He, I mean, he could have commanded the stones to turn into loaves of bread and then and fed thousands of people. But he started with the little bit that they already have. Now, a lot of times, well, you know, we may need a big amount. We may need a b- massive miracle. And you're like, Lord, just I, I just think you're going to make it appear out of air. Just I'll cause something to happen Lord, right now. I bind it in the name of Jesus. And, and you're doing all this stuff. And you have a little bit of the answer already right there. You may have a little bit of what you need already. If you would just calm down for a minute and get out of panic mode and listen. And God will give you wisdom sometimes. And he'll say, you know what? You've got a little bit of that over there. Go grab that. Am I right? Has that happened to anybody? You already have some of the answer already, but you've been in so so much of a panic that you're just you, you're overwhelmed by it. So Jesus said, OK, calm down. Get me what we do have. Give me a report. And so they come back. OK, we got five loaves of bread. We got a couple of fish. OK, good. And so what's the next thing that he does? Uh, he takes even more control of the situation. He has everybody sit down. OK, we're going to split them up into groups of 50 and a hundred, and I can imagine in a big open field, well, you know, of say 10,000 people, neatly and orderly putting them into groups of 50. This is very methodical. This is very organized. And, and I mean, this is seriously, just to break it down, this is management skills that Jesus really had. This is big time leadership in this situation. And did you notice that the disciples did something that most of us would do in this situation? He says, You feed them. You know how much money that would take? We'd have to work for months. Their first thought automatically went to money. And that's what we do when we're in about, well, I've got to get the money. Money, 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 money. And, and we, we just start, oh, that's going to take some. And Jesus didn't need a single penny to feed all these people. You have to realize that money is not always the answer to every situation. Yes, it takes money to operate in this world. But Jesus can feed you without having to dump thousands of dollars into your lap. Jesus can provide for your needs without always having to have a ton of money. Jesus can make it happen. I've heard stories, and I'm not, I mean, not, uh, this hasn't happened to everybody and hasn't happened to me yet, but I've heard stories of people that have been living right, doing things God's way, sowing seed, okay? They're doing things right, calling in to make a payment on a bill, and they're saying, uh, you know, you don't owe anything at all. That, that got paid off. I, that's, that's wiped out. You don't owe a single penny. And I listen to Kenneth Copeland a lot. And I've heard so many stories of people that have, you know, just that, that have, this has happened to where it's been supernaturally paid off. Now, I'm not saying you can rely, rely on that to happen every single time. You've got to handle your money wisely. But God can take care of your situation without having to just dump massive amounts of money and throw money at everything all the time. And the disciples' very first thought was, oh my gosh, we're going to have to get jobs and have to work. And, and it's going to take money, money, money. It takes months to raise all this. And Jesus is like, oh my gosh, are you serious right now? 
Give me the bread. Give me the fish. All right. And so he sits them down, groups of 50 and 100. And then he starts giving it up. He, and and, and, and I, I imagine he's got like an assembly line going here. Now, Henry Ford is credited with inventing the assembly line, but I think Jesus did. So he's got, you know, these guys and, 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 he, and he's starting to split it up and they start passing it out, passing it out. And they've got an orderly thing going here. And before you know it, everybody ate. Everybody felt great. They were full. There was leftovers. It was a beautiful situation. But Jesus took care of the need and, and, and it didn't have to take chaos and it didn't have to uh, 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 be, be such a mess. Why was he so organized and methodical? Well, let's just break it down here. We're talking about how Jesus handled situations. We're, we're looking at his management skills right here. What if Jesus just was like, boom, be blessed. Come and get it, everybody. Can you imagine 10,000 people charging towards the fish and loaves? I mean, I've been at church pitchings where nobody gave instructions, and I've seen hundreds of people charge like cows out of the corral, like, you know, running towards the food table. I'm like, whoa, get out of the way, because there's no instruction. You, well, you've got to give people instruction, especially when there's food involved, because, I mean, people get nasty. They get mean. People get mean with food. And so Jesus, he, if he had just said, go and get it, everybody, dinner's ready. I mean, this would have turned into an even worse situation. Grandmas would have got trampled. Kids would have got thrown in the air. I mean, people would have been fighting over the fish. It, it would have been an absolute pandemonium, man. This would have been nuts. But Jesus, throughout the whole thing, he's maintaining peace and order and calm. And all right, let's just start splitting this up right here. You go to that group. You go to that group. And the whole thing is so organized. Isn't that cool how Jesus handled this situation? Well, he had a purpose for doing the way that he wanted to. And, and, uh, and I can only imagine if he just let 10,000 people charge the dinner table right there, this would have been an absolute disaster. But he handled it that day. It wasn't a free-for-all at the Galilee Golden Corral. It was an absolute orderly thing where Jesus took control of it. And so I got to say this, that I've been around a lot of church members here where you guys, I've seen your family, especially your unsaved family, go through a crisis and time and time again, I've seen you people just step up to the plate and be the one to take control of the situation, maybe in an emergency room or, or a, a bad family situation. I've seen the people of this church time and time again with all their unsaved relatives where they step up. They're the voice of reason. They're calming everyone down and taking control of bad situations. That's awesome. That's exactly what Jesus did, and that's what we're supposed to do. But you've, you've got to study the word to get these answers. And so it takes true grit to stand up in the middle of a crisis situation and calm a bunch of people down and handle it. But Jesus controlled the situation. The situations did not control him. Don't let the situation control you. If something bad happens, if a crisis comes, don't let it control you and throw you into a tailspin. You have got to have the mind of Christ and you've got to be the one to step up and say, all right, hey, we got this. All right, let's look to Jesus right now. Notice Jesus took the fish and loaves and did he look around at the crowd? Fish, loaves. No, it specifically says he took them and looked up toward heaven. He put his focus on where the answer was. I mean, if I was in that situation and I was feeding 10,000 people and I was praying, 
I would probably get pretty intimidated if I did start looking at all the people around me and like, I don't have any idea how this is going to happen. Well, that's not my business how it's going to happen. That's God's business. I just got to focus on him. And so Jesus, it says, he took what he had and he looked straight up to heaven with it. That's what we have to do. Take what you've already got and look to heaven and watch what God can do. And so, you know, I, I think about leadership in bad situations. And, and for some reason, I was thinking of this, this uh, well, the last couple of days as I was preparing this message. But I remember when September 11th happened, I was uh, 17 years, 16 years old. <laughs> and I was a junior in high school. And I remember, you know, I, that was kind of a scary time for most of us here in America. Maybe some of you are too young to remember. But that was, that was a pretty just strange time. Even if we weren't right there, it was just like, what in the world is going on? And I remember there was like uh, every day there's the new bomb threat where well, they're saying they're going to get the Empire State Building and there's anthrax in the mail in Baltimore. and There's somebody shooting people out of the back of a car in D.C. And like just all this weird stuff happening all over the place. And I'm like, man, what is going on? But I remember and this is not a political thing. So throw your politics out. But I remember President Bush went to ground zero on the 14th and he gave an impromptu speech. It was not written. It was nobody wrote this for him. And and he he gave this speech. And I've heard so many of the the, the paramedics and, and firefighters that were there that day uh, that, that said that speech, I mean, just absolutely inspired them and gave them hope to continue their job. And it's it's a short two minute thing. But I actually I've got the video here. I want Jose to play it. But this to me was what leadership and a crisis looks like there's smoke coming from the rubble, but he's calming everybody, and and it's just incredible to see. So I do want to I do want to watch this, Jose. Go ahead. Thank you all. I uh, I want you all to know. I can't go any louder. I want you all to know. That America today, America today is on bended knee in prayer for the people whose lives were lost here, for the workers who work here, for the families who mourn. This nation stands with the good people of New York City and New Jersey and Connecticut as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you! I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people... And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon.
And so to me, that just symbolized leadership in a crisis situation. And I mean, I, I would to get in this day and age. I mean, that was a few years ago now and, and things weren't quite as crazy in a lot of ways. But it's even hard to imagine getting a crowd of thousands of people that voted for, the, you know, they didn't vote for this guy or didn't like him or they're a Republican or a Democrat or whatever to get that many people in unison to chant, chant USA like that. That took leadership in a really super bad, chaotic situation. And, and again, I've heard so many people talk about the hope and the, uh, the inspiration that were there that that gave to them to keep doing their job over the next few days. And to me, that right there is leadership in an emergency situation. Obviously, one of the worst of all time. But I read a quote that I really like and I think it's going to help us. I want you to hear this. And this is talking about, and more of our regular day-to-day things, one of the tests of leadership is the ability to recognize a problem before it becomes an emergency. That's the one test of leadership, is if you can recognize a problem before it becomes an emergency. And what happened with Jesus and the disciples in feeding the, the thousands of people, nobody was starving yet. Nobody was saying, we've got to eat right now. But they saw the potential for how bad this could be if thousands of people hadn't ate for days, how bad this is going to be. They headed it off at the pass. Wouldn't that be great if we started doing that with problems in our life where we saw well, this could potentially be a bad thing if we took action before the emergency actually occurred? You just see a little ripple starting to, you know, you see a little wave coming in. You're like, well, let's handle this right now before there's a tidal wave monsoon that swallows the whole beach. Because then you get, I mean, listen, God's got the answer in the emergency situation. But isn't it cool that he gives us wisdom so many times to stop things before they ever become a crisis? I think so many times in my life where God's kind of warned me of things like, yeah, I better take care of that, better take care of that. This is, and, and, and then later on it turns into an emergency like, what am I going to do now? Well, God helps me out of it, but it would have been really cool if I had listened to him a long time ago before it turned into a super bad situation. And so I'm encouraging us to handle things while it's still a problem and not an emergency. All right. And I'm going to go on to point number three tonight, and that's this is that difficulty came to Jesus, but he took control. Because often we're like, well, that's Jesus. I mean, he didn't have any real problems. That's the pastor. He doesn't have any real problems like we do. I mean, I'm so tired of hearing people say stupid stuff like that. Listen, we're all humans. I'm human. My dad's human. We have problems that come against us. Again, I just don't tell everybody about it. And so difficulty came to Jesus, but he took control. He grabbed the bull by the horns and bent it into submission. He took control of the situation. He didn't let the situation control him. And so I put it this way. We can't always control our circumstances, but we can control the situation after it arrives. And sometimes the storm comes and I couldn't help that the storm came. I didn't see it coming or or maybe, you know, it happened and that's bad. I wish it hadn't happened. But from that point forward, I am not going to let the storm control me. I'm going to take control and tell the storm where to go. Amen? Amen? I'm not making this up. Let's look at our final story tonight in Mark chapter 4. Let's see what Mark has to say about this. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 40. So you can't avoid every hardship and storm, but when the storm comes, you can control the situation. 
And there are, but there are some storms you can uh, avoid, but not all of them. And so Mark chapter 4, let's start here at verse 35. I'm going to read this out of the New King James. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 40, because storms even came to Jesus. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 40. It says, on the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. So they're going out there and a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. I'm telling you, that was probably pretty terrifying right there. I've been on boats out in the ocean where it kind of got like this. And that's not too cool. But listen, they're out there on a wooden vessel and there is all this, I mean, waves crashing in to where their wooden boat was filling with water. That would be terrifying. I would not want to be in this situation. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He rebuked them after all this. But out of this whole story, again, there's so many truths out of this story. Have you ever been in the storm and your boat is getting filled up with water there's splinters going everywhere and and it looks like if something doesn't happen quick you are going down for the count this will be the last straw this will be the wave that finally takes you out have you ever been there i feel like i've been there before and jesus is in this situation and and and, and look at this notice that he was so unintimidated that it, the storm didn't even wake jesus up out of all this, I mean, he had to be getting wet. There's probably water splashing on him. He is on his pillow, chilling like a villain. He's not even waking up. He's like, I mean, I'm on Jesus' snore. He, he's having sweet dreams and all this stuff. It took them coming and shaking him and screaming, teacher, teacher, you don't even care we're going to die? And, and, and listen to me. So that tells me that storms don't scare Jesus. Your situation does not even remotely scare Jesus. You notice he, when he wakes up, it says he went out there and said, peace, be still. He didn't get up and say, oh, my gosh, you're right. It is a storm. What are we going to do? Peter, James, John, go get Thomas. And we got to start getting water out of the boat. Help. Jesus was not even slightly scared of the storm. He wakes up. I can imagine he probably yawns. Oh, I was having a really good sleep there. God, what'd you wake me up for? Peace, be still. Why do you guys have no faith? What is up with that? Leave me alone. And, you know, and he is so calm about all of this. I'm like, man, what grit, what, what courage, what, I mean, talk about a man right there where he's in this situation and it doesn't even wake him up. That's the Jesus that we serve right there. That's good news. I am glad that my God isn't afraid of storms. Isn't it bad when you look to your leader for answers and he's like, I'm as scared as you are. I have no idea what to do right now. This is bad. You tell me. I don't know, Peter. No, I am glad that my savior, that my leader, that my Lord is not afraid of storms. Storms are afraid of him. The problem is 
too many people, they just refuse to do things his way. But I'm telling you what, a lot of people see this and like, he said, peace be still, but that was Jesus. We can't do that. Bet me. Bet me. I will take that bet any day of the week. John chapter 14, verse 12. Let's do this. John 14, verse 12. Bet me that I can't take control of the situation. Bet me that I can't use the authority of the name of Jesus to handle even a storm. John chapter 14, verse 12. And there's just so many people like, well, that, I don't know. That would be arrogant. That would be rude. I, I don't. John chapter 14, verse 12. The day of the sissy Christian is over in the name of Jesus. Come on. The day of the pansies and the body of Christ has got to be over with. We need the John Waynes and Mr. T's and Chuck Norris's to step up to the plate, people. All right. Well, maybe, I may have lost you there, but all right. Anyway, uh, John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. Even speak to storms, Jesus? Even lay hands on the sick, Jesus? Well, no, but look what he says. And even greater works. Because I'm going to be with the Father. Now, I read that, and that's almost hard to believe. I'll be honest with you. Where Jesus said, the same things that I did, the same works, you're going to do also, and you're going to do even greater ones. And I'm like, I, I have trouble comprehending that. The only reason I actually believe this is because Jesus said it, and I believe every word that he ever amen, said. Amen, and he amen. said, the same works that I do, you're going to do also, and even greater works. Wow. And I'm too afraid to speak to the storm. I'm too afraid to forbid things from happening in my life. Over the last three weeks, a cold has tried to hit me about three times. Every week, a cold has come to me, and I've said, not today, devil. <laughs> nope. I forbid it. And I'm serious, man. I have not, it's not, it's not attached itself to me. It's tried to stay maybe six, 12 hours throughout the day, but it has gone away every single time. Even on Friday or Saturday this week, I felt my throat getting really sore. And I'm like, oh man, I'm preaching. I don't want to lose my chance. And I was like, wait a minute. No. No. I forbid it. And whatever I forbid on earth shall be forbidden in heaven. Matthew 18. But let's look at the next few verses here. So he said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me is going to do the same things I did, but even greater. But look at the next few verses. Verses 13 and 14. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the son can bring glory to the father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it! Exclamation point. He's being serious right here. He said, ask for anything in my name. And he said, the same works I do, you're going to do also. I mean, these are very, very bold statements right here. Anything? Are you anything? Are you, you really mean anything in my name and I will do it? And again, I hear people that, that, that they're like, well, I'd, I'd like to, you know, have a faith. I'd like to do stuff like that. But doesn't that seem a little bit arrogant and conceited to, 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 you know, just expect that I could have stuff like that happen? Here's what I felt the Lord tell me this morning. I was on my couch drinking my coffee, looking at my Christmas tree at 4 a.m. I felt Jesus say this to me. It's not arrogant to use your authority in Christ. It's ignorant not to. 
It's not arrogant to use your authority in Christ. It's ignorant not to. I mean, listen, if the president came up to me and said, listen, you just use my name for anything you want to. You have permission to sign my name. Serious? I feel kind of arrogant. That would not be my attitude. I'd be like, thank you. I will take that pen. All right. First order of business. I'd start handing out orders, baby. I would I'd be serious with it. I wouldn't feel arrogant. I'd be a fool not to. And there's so many Christians bless our hearts. We've all been there, but we don't use the authority we don't use the scriptures we don't use the, the, the what god told us to use and we're like well what will people think i don't listen if you're still stuck on what people think about you you got to get over that quick because listen you're weird you're you're a weirdo I'm, I'm i'm fine with that i am weird i am strange i am not like the people in this world it's weird to not get colds every winter it's weird to not get the flu It's weird to not have depression and panic and anxiety. It is super weird to stay married to the same woman for 60 years like Al over there did. That is weird in our day and age. But listen to me. I'll take weird over 10 divorces and 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 and, and sickness and disease and panic and turmoil and depression. Call me weird. I'm the weirdest of the weird, baby. I don't want anything to do with the people of this world. Their lives. I mean, you know what I mean? I don't have to live like that. If normal is depressed and sick and, and, and bad relationships, I don't want normal. I don't want that. And so, absolutely, it's not arrogant to use your authority in Christ. It is ignorant not to. And in fact, Jesus said he wants you to do it. Why? Because it brings glory to the Father. He said you do it. it it's, it's, you're not going to get any glory for it. It brings glory to to the Father. And I'm telling you what, you go lay hands on a blind person in the name of Jesus and they get healed, that's going to bring glory to God. When you go out and, and, and witness to somebody that everybody thought was a lost cause and they give their life to Jesus and now they're not addicted anymore, now they're not abusing things and now they're, they're living for Jesus, God gets glory from that. And he said, the same things I do, you're going to do also. And so, we're talking about having true grit having courage, having guts to use the name of Jesus. And I think a lot of people are like, well, what if I step up and and step out there and stick my neck on the line and nothing happens? Listen, Sherlock, you're not providing the power. If I was responsible for if I was responsible for the power, then, yeah, I'd be intimidated. I don't have the power to cure cancer. I don't have the power to fix anyone's relationship, but I've got the authority to to the power. Amen. And so don't be sitting there. Well, how's it going to happen? I don't, man, I don't need to know how, you know, how the car runs. I just need to know that I stick and it's going to work. Okay. And so too many people are trying to figure God out all the time and just, you're not going to figure him out. His ways are far beyond anything you will ever understand. But listen, it is not up to you to provide the power. It's up to you to provide the faith. All you're going to do is believe. And he said, the same things I did, you're going to do them too. And even greater works, ask for anything in my name and I'll do it. All you have to do is like he told Jairus, the first story of this whole thing tonight. That's what we're going to come to right here, bringing it to a head. The thing he said to Jairus in this situation was, don't be afraid. I just need you to believe. Your only job right now, don't be afraid. Just believe. I'll take care of the rest. I'll bring the power, I'll bring the glory, I'll bring the miracle. You just have to believe. And too many times you're like, oh, how how am I going to do this? Quit. 
You can't. It's, it's beyond you or it would have been fixed already. You've got to get to the place where you fear not and only believe. And that takes some grit. That takes some guts. That takes some tenacity to step into a bad situation and not let it control you. But you control the situation. And when it's a storm, you send the storm packing. When, it, when it's a bad situation, you come in with the authority of the name of Jesus and handle business. That's what we're talking about tonight. That's true grit, to not let the situation control you, but for you to control the situation. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand up together tonight. Amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.